Hello, and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Episode 6. Thanks for joining us. Now, every Monday, we round up the week's most important technology, digital, and innovation news from across Africa. My name is Andile Masugu. I'm a broadcaster and entrepreneur. And with me is my main man, Defo Mokhapi. How's it, dude? Tired, but all good. <laughs> Why are you tired? You, uh, look, Defo just came in from uh, from his son's first school soccer match. How sweet. But he, you didn't play, bro. Hey, man. Just looking at it was tiring. Are you one of those parents who like get emotionally involved? Nah, I was chilled. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Now, Defo is not only a loving dad, he's also the co-host of the African Tech Roundup. He's also a super busy tech entrepreneur and the executive editor of iAfrican.com. Now, an extra special welcome to you if you're joining us for the first time. Please check out some of what you've missed on our past episodes on AfricanTechRoundup.com. Uh, you'll also find a link to our Twitter account, which is, of course, at AfricanRoundup. Up, do hit us up and tell us what you think. Now, this week, the African Tech Roundup is supported by a rather special event. It's a talk and fireside chat that's uh, been dubbed Skills Crowdsourcing with Trevor Wolf. Now, Trevor's the managing director of the acclaimed startup Spring Leap. The event is happening on Thursday, the 28th of May, between 6.30 and 9 p.m. at the Vitz Digital Innovation Zone in Bramfontein, Johannesburg, South Africa. Now, I caught up with Trevor to get the low-low on what we can expect. Cool. So, we're going to be talking a lot about the crowd. Um, First of all, there's going to be a great crowd at the, the event, so you should just attend for that reason alone. We're going to talk about the rise of the crowd and its implications on business models, um, but we'll also get into some useful tips for founders and startups on how they can use uh, the crowd for their own purposes. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Spring Leap's pivot. We've changed from t-shirts to research um, using a crowd model, so we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit. Uh, and if if I'm feeling humble and uh, if, if Tefo is is good, we're going to talk a little bit about my, about my startup failures. What kind of person should plan to be there? Well, I think any any startup that's just getting off the ground or any person with a big idea, um, I'm going to show them a few ways of how the crowd can be incorporated as their business model. Um, but also any startup that is not using the crowd as its business model, um, there are plenty of crowd-based resources as you as an entrepreneur can be tapping into for free uh, that'll help you get your ideas off the ground too. So I think that's both sides should attend. Now, before we get into the news and our regular debate segment, uh, we've got comments from Africa, man. Yeah, I mean, this is quite interesting comments coming from our listeners on the topic of open source software versus proprietary software. And really excited to be making this a permanent part of our, of our lineup each week. Uh, we look forward to hearing from every part of the continent. Uh, keep those comments coming in uh, on Twitter, of course, and uh, we'll definitely uh, feature as many of them as we can. Here's what you had to say. My name my name is Caroline Nobe. I'm an associate professor at the University of Cape Town. I research and write about software and intellectual property. In my view, some of the key considerations that face an entrepreneur who's making a choice between open source and proprietary software are their specific business software needs and their budget. If the business needs customized software, it is likely that it will find commissioning customized proprietary software to be quite expensive and it is not possible to tweak proprietary software as the code is not distributed. On the other hand, customizing open source software is a better option because it can be done at little or no cost and without any fear of being sued for copyright infringement. Better yet, the business can write its own code from scratch and make it available to others and contribute to the knowledge commons. 
I'd like to end my comment with a question to entrepreneurs. Do they worry about copyright at all when considering their software options? is my name. I've been working for 10 years in IT. I'm currently working in support and also very much involved in innovation. In responding to the question of open source and proprietary software, I will respond from the point of view of open innovation, Ubuntu, which in my view, in my understanding, is the way of the future. Together, we are always better than one. Organizations like Google, Apple, Microsoft have actually come to realize that. Because when you look at uh, uh, app stores, it is an extension of an organization with less investment from an organization because you get people doing what they love for themselves and they benefit and the organizations benefit. For instance, when you look in 2014, which is last year, in Google Play alone, there were 400,000 developers. Out of 400,000 developers, we got over 1.5 million apps. If you go to any organization today to get one app in three years, you need five developers. Okay, people are becoming better these days. They're becoming agile, you know, failing fast and becoming better. But the openness platform, the openness approach made it possible to create 1.5 million apps by 400,000 developers. And the apps are still growing every day. Over 7.5 billion downloads on Google Store. If you go to iOS App Store, over 1.2 million apps developed by 300,000 developers. On Amazon App Store, you have over 300,000 apps developed by over 50,000 developers. Together, we can do more. It is the way of the future. Hello, I'm Mark Clark. I'm from a company called Jumping Bean, based in Johannesburg, and we're an open source solutions-based company building solutions for our customers and products based on open source components and using it and also releasing our stuff as open source. And why do I think open source is the way to go for Africa to, to build our, our technology on? Well, if we build it on proprietary software, we're always going to be reliant on another country or another nation. So we're always going to be, it'll be just like we have with our minerals currently, where we, we get the basic raw resources and we export most of the value overseas. And then we have to bring it in again um, at a deflated price, at twice the price that we could pay to take the raw materials out of the ground. Because you know, if you're going to build a proprietary database, proprietary operating system, that means when you sell it, who's going to come and stand by for a cut of the deal and say, well, guess what? You need to give us money to use this database. So I would say open source is the way to go because it creates, in a, besides you know, the cost factors, also it allows you to innovate. It allows you to try new things. It allows you to build and also to learn. So it's educating people. If you use it, you can educate yourself. And also you can build uh, software on top of it and innovate, which doesn't, you can't, it's much harder to do in a proprietary world. Hi, I'm Monga from Motosi Holdings. It's a mobile development house. We focus mostly on building custom solutions for our customers, made for platforms like Android, iOS, and BlackBerry. Open source software and free software, and this is free as in freedom, is important because it fosters the culture of sharing. It fosters the cultures of freedom in your software. So basically, you own your computer, but if you are running Windows, for example, you have given that control and that ownership of your machine to another company. And you don't know what they are doing with your, with your information. You don't know what they're doing with your system. So basically, open source software gives you that power to say, as a user, I want to claim back my computing. I want to have control of what the software does into my computer. I want to know where my data is going. I don't want to just share any private information because... 
a lot of these systems that are proprietary are doing things that we don't know and you, you have no way of checking because you don't have the source code. All you have are binaries and basically whatever is happening is out of your control. Well, heads up everybody, Mark and Bonga, who you just heard, we're planning a little collaboration with them, uh, a new podcast called Coding in Africa that should be coming out in the next few weeks. We'll be giving you more information in the weeks to come, so look out for that. Well, to the news now. Drone operators in South Africa are up in arms at the new rules regulating the use of remotely piloted aircraft systems. Now, that's what drones are basically being called. Very posh name, a rather simple thing. The regulations uh, were signed by the Minister of Transport in South Africa, Mr. Boer Peters, and these rules will officially be in effect as of the 1st of July 2015. What do you make of this? I don't know. I think this is a knee-jerk reaction, really. I mean, if you look at uh, some of the laws that are being signed into place, like you can't uh, fly over people, you can't fly close, like within 50 meters of people or buildings and all those things. It's. I ask myself, why didn't we regulate toy helicopters before and now we're regulating drones? Yes, I understand drones carry a payload like cameras or deliveries, but come on. I mean, more importantly, therefore, how are West Africans going to make music videos? This is ridiculous. They, they're like ruining our entertainment from, from, from that part of the world. Yeah, even cool movie shots where you don't need a helicopter to shoot an aerial shot of a building. Now you need to... Even worse is the license fee required to fly a drone 150,000 let's let Offense tell us more about it. my name is Offense Mwase I'm an aerial photographer and aerial cinematographer I've been flying drones for about eight months now I think these new rules they they doing good for the for, for the drone hobby or even for videographers but my my only problem is that they want us to pay like 150,000 to actually get a drone license. I think that's a bit ridiculous and it's too steep. It's almost like they don't want anyone to do it at all, only like people that are really wealthy and very rich. I agree with most, well, no, I would say 50% of the regulations that they put up, like not flying above people. I think that's, that's just the safety thing. But I think the biggest problem is saying, uh, we shouldn't fly 50 meters close to people. I think that's pretty much gonna stop us being so creative with our shots. So, I, as well as not flying 50 meters from buildings. Like, you know, with an aerial shot, it's nicer when you come in close to your subject. So, I would say not flying like maybe 25 meters close to them uh, should should be pretty reasonable. And above, I agree that you shouldn't fly above people. So, yeah. Now, offense, it doesn't sound very happy. I mean, now, I mean, some of the regulations, uh, for, the, for instance, you basically have to have an approved and valid remote pilot license, which, like you said, costs a ridiculous exorbitant sum. Uh, so much more than the actual drone you're flying. That's sort of like expecting a, a, a pilot of a 747 to have a, a license that costs more than a, a Boeing. That's ridiculous. It's exactly like that. I think this is just, as I said, a knee-jerk reaction to innovation or disruption i don't know i don't see how they're gonna enforce it and i think the drone pilots will eventually win this
yeah, we don't want to bore you with all the details. If you're interested to, to check them out and, and perhaps other countries are eyeing what South Africa is going to be doing and use that as a benchmark, hopefully not, uh, you can head to caa.co.za and tell us what you think of those uh, of those recommendations. Now, MTN was in a spot of bother last week. 2,000 of its employees went on strike demanding higher bonus payments. Yeah, I mean, the communication workers union members who were striking at MTN's offices were complaining about not receiving their bonuses despite the CEO Ahmed uh, receiving a bonus. So, yeah, he took home 17.5 million rand, about 1.7 million US dollars, uh, including... A six, or an, an estimated uh, 660 million uh, US dollar bonus in 2014. And uh, the MTN Group president, of course, took home like, a crazy amount as well. According to some reports, um, MTN offers employees a guaranteed 4% bonus and a 13th check, whether or not the company performs well in, in the financial year. But workers are demanding a guaranteed bonus of 16%. That's like a 12% differential. Yeah, I don't think they're going to get their 16% to start with. But uh, I see where they're coming from. But but for me, what was funny, and we'll probably post this on our Twitter account, is one of the strikers having a board that says no to xenophobia. Ahmed must go back to Palestine. We must get a South African CEO. The irony there. Is Ahmed Farouk from Palestine? I think so. I never checked. Well, here's to hoping they all kiss and make up. So some interesting news coming out of t- Tanzania. BitPesa has made a name for itself in the world of Bitcoin-enabled remittance services. Now, up until this point, most of BitPesa's uh, efforts have been focused on Kenya, which, of course, is famous for its uh, for BitPesa's uh, more famous cousin, Mpesa. And l- last week, the company announced that it will be expanding into Kenya's neighbor, Tanzania. Yeah, I mean, this is a testament to how well mobile money has been used in East Africa. First was M-Pesa being expanding across East Africa and also inter-network and inter-bank M-Pesa usage. But now we see that BitPesa is expanding to Tanzania. The cool thing about BitPesa though is that people can send money and receive money in their local currencies and it can be d- deposited into a bank account or it can be paid out in shillings on mobile devices. They're very bullish on mobile. Uh, I think uh, given the mobile numbers the entire continent is showing in, in, terms, of, uh, in terms of growth and, and penetration. Definitely targeting uh, mobile users apparently also offering benefit for businesses with companies being able to to pay suppliers and employees directly by sending funds to a phone number or a bank account pretty cool yeah it's a pretty cool service i think it's based on bitcoin so they do some interesting programming in the background convert to local currencies and send directly to mobile numbers moneygram and western union be very afraid now our final news story provides the perfect segue into our discussion topic for the week bitcoin and blockchain well let's start with the basics therefore what is bitcoin and what is blockchain i think i have some idea yeah i'll just summarize the blockchain in one or two sentences basically it's a transactional ledger of all the bitcoin transactions that have happened and it's distributed across all Bitcoin nodes. Bitcoin nodes are all the computers or devices with CPUs that are mining Bitcoin. So every transaction, every Bitcoin transaction that's ever happened, the information is contained in every Bitcoin node. So from the first ever Bitcoin up until the last Bitcoin that's just been mined, like every cell has your DNA, every cell in your body has your DNA. Right. Every Bitcoin node has all the transactions all the Bitcoin transactions that have ever happened. So this is like distributed trust or distributed information. So I think we've the internet came and distributed information so that anybody can publish themselves or broadcast themselves. I think Bitcoin and the blockchain 
bring about something called distributed trust in one way, where all the, depending on what you use the blockchain for, all the information for that specific network can be contained in distributed systems and not centralized. How then do you assign value in order to create a currency um, around Bitcoin? Well, I think that goes back to what currency is. Currency is mainly consensus we all agree that this is worth something but in the case of bitcoin it's the amount of mining that is required and the scarcity of it so earlier in the early days of bitcoin so the first hundred bitcoins the frequency of bitcoins occurring like you mining a bitcoin was closer but as time goes on length of time it takes for you to mine the next bitcoin is much longer would it be a wise comparison to compare bitcoin to gold and platinum and diamond and rare minerals like that and how we as a society have sort of come together and built consensus around these things are pretty rare and therefore we can assign value to them that's a pretty ab- summary of it yes we cannot uh, you can base it on mining hence the word mining bitcoins you know i listened to a a podcast uh, a week ago talking about this t- this topic and it left me a little bit confused because the gentlemen in the podcast were talking about bitcoin and there's a potential to sort of right the wrongs of what the the global economic system has gotten wrong and and how those who have basically misused power in order to bring the world into economic crisis and 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 bitcoin and the blockchain were were being held as as a potentially new new order to things and my concern is if you're sitting somewhere in burundi bangladesh or someplace like that how does Bitcoin and the blockchain address inequities that existed before its existence? I think from a currency point of view, I personally don't see how it addresses that. But I think there are other uses for the blockchain. As I explained, it's a distributed system. And it's also, I mean, you each, you'll have a block address for every blockchain. So you can have a unique anonymous address that uh, government can or you can use as your identity or you can use as a wallet, etc., etc. What that brings about is things like uh, anonymous voting. So instead of walking up with your ID to a ballot box, you can use electronic voting that uses your blockchain address to vote. And nobody knows who you are. It's not attached to an ID number. It's not attached. And it's also free and fair. I'm assuming that uh, BitPesa is harnessing these technologies in order to be able to deliver money easily and cheaply uh, and safely quite frankly to, to to people who might live across the world in a way that's what they're doing but again i mean with each country each country's got banking regulations so i'd love to see how they're going up around those banking regulations when my wife and i have our first child is is one of the things i'm going to try and train them to do is, is mine bitcoin because <laughs> it's sounding pretty lucrative at this point well probably a good starting point but probably a little bit late in the game to do that Although you can still do it depending on how much computing power you've got. So you can assemble server room full of servers and start mining. That'll get you closer to mining your first Bitcoin. But I think the value is more in the blockchain, again, more than the currency itself. Because you get different cryptocurrencies that are like Bitcoin. So, yeah, I think the value is more in the blockchain rather than the cryptocurrency. Okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm still not entirely sure I get it, but that's okay. I've got a lifetime to figure it out. And we have you to join the discussion. We're just getting it started, y'all. Um, have you traded in Bitcoin? Have you used services like BitPesa? Tell us what you think. Perhaps you have unique insights as to how Bitcoin works, how, how the blockchain uh, could possibly be applied to, to other areas of life and, and improve the lives uh, of, of, of global citizens. Hey, we want to hear about it, right? Hit us up on our Twitter account at African Roundup. You can share on our hashtag 
ATRU, just so everyone knows what's up. We can't wait to hear from you, of course, and, and, and you can be sure that some of your comments will make their way back to the show. Now, remember this week, the African Tech Roundup was supported by the Talk and Fireside Chat event, Skills Crowdsourcing with Trevor Wolf. Uh, Trevor's the founder and MD of Spring Leap, and it's happening on Thursday, the 28th of May, between 6.30 and 9 p.m. at the VIT Digital Innovation Zone in Brompton, Johannesburg, South Africa. For more details and to book yourself a seat, head to bit.ly forward slash startup. Well, that's it for this show. We want to wish everyone across the continent an amazing Africa Day this week. Let's continue doing all we can to celebrate this amazing continent. We will play out with the anthem of the African Union. Take it easy, everybody.